My friends, hear the amazing news of God's goodness toward us. The gospel, Jesus, the God of the universe, the Messiah, came into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Flesh or the will of man, but of God. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. Believe that God loves us, for he gave his own son, that we may have everlasting life. Believe in him who set us free. He is the truth, the way, and the life. Praise God. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Amen. This morning we continue in John's Gospel, and it really does lead us right to the manger. It may not seem like this is a Christmas text, but it is, and we'll unfold that. So join me in John chapter 8, verses 32. Actually, I'm going to back up just a a couple of verses to verse uh, 30 and uh, through verse 59. So listen to God's word from John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse uh, 30 through 59. As Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. And what he was saying was that he was the Son of God and God himself. And as he was saying this, people were believing him. Then John tells us, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered Jesus, We're descendants of Abraham, and have never never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying, You will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, yet you look for an opportunity to kill me, because there is no place in you for my word. I declare what I have seen in the Father's presence. As for you, you should do what you have heard from the Father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you're trying to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are indeed doing what your father does. They said to him, we're not illegitimate children. We have one father, God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now I am here. I did not come on my own, but he sent me. 
Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot accept my word. You are from your father, the devil, and you choose to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is from God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not from God. The Jews answered Jesus, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory, for there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever keeps my word will never see death. The Jews said to Jesus, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever keeps my word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The prophets also died. Yet do you claim to, who, who do you claim to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. But of whom do you say he is our God, though you do not know him? But I know him. If I would say that I do not know him, I would be a liar, like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to Jesus, you're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, ego in me, I am that I am. So they picked up stones to throw at Jesus, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God take this reading of his word, magnify it, and bring it to bear upon our hearts through the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, let your good news come now and find us, not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit. And with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts will be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray in the strong name of the one whom you sent to us in person, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, it's, it's Advent, Christmas call it. I love the music and the message of the carols that Christmas brings, that Advent brings. In fact, there's probably no better theological storytelling than the music of this season. Uh, you've just heard the choir do uh, Mark Lowry and Buddy Green's Mary Did You Know. Is that, is that powerful? Is that haunting? Yeah. Relatively new. It's a, it's a great modern example of, of Silent Night which is turning 200 years old this year. 
just as powerful now as, as it was then when it was first written because it's a call to be in awe of who God is and what he did in coming to be born as one of us. <laughs> I heard something this week that I just need to share with you. The powerful music of Christmas proclaims the truth of what God did in coming to be Emmanuel, to set us free, and, and all the things that the Christmas music tells us. And the, uh, the eloquence of comedian Steve Martin was not lost on me this week when he said, you know, it's really interesting, atheists don't have any carols. <laughs> What's there to sing about? The, the hymn writers, Sardin and Camus said, that's all there is, folks. And I think that's why this, this passage that we've just heard, that we might tend, not tend to think about, as I said, uh, as an Advent passage, is so profound. Because as the art, overarching nature of God, John's gospel, this passage proclaims that he, here Jesus comes. He's here. He's in person. He's, in, he's God in the flesh. And he tells us the problem that we have. He tells us what's missing. He tells us what's not right, why we're empty. He tells us why we feel like there's no room at the end. And then he asks those in this particular setting. Then, and he asks us now, you don't know who you're talking to, do you? I love that. He, he really comes out and says, you don't even know who you're talking to. And then he goes from preaching to meddling. That's the great thing about the gospel. It gets right down and gets into our lives. And when he tells his hearers, you don't even know who or whose you are. I mean, this is getting really sensitive. They've said, we're not illegitimate. You can imagine some of the flavorful language that might have been used in that time. And they get all huffy and they start talking about their pedigrees. Like, like they've just spent some big bucks at Ancestry.com, you know. Hey, hey, look, we did the swab test. Look, we know who we are. And they're going to tell Jesus a thing or two about who, do you know who you're talking to? After all, we're children of Abraham. Look at this. You can't talk to us like this. But he does. Isn't that just like us? Isn't that just like us to think we know everything about who we are and what we need such that even when the God of the universe comes and looks us square in the eye, in the heart, comes to us right face to face and tells us what's missing and tells us, hey, you're in captivity. You need to be set free. We have the audacity to go, nah, I'm good, we're good. Got pedigree, you know, see, Ancestry.com. And you, by the way, buddy, whoever you are, you sure don't know who you're talking to. You don't know what you're talking about. Now, I know none of us probably have come right out and said that, but isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do when, when we look to our own ways and devices and attitudes about finding a superiority that sets us apart on our own. The following words 
are engraved on the walls of the U.S. Supreme Court. I don't know if any of you have ever seen this in person or on the internet, but it says, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Do you know that? On the walls of the Supreme Court, engraved in granite. Now, I'm a little surprised there hasn't been a, a challenge from the ACLU or someone to take those words down, but maybe they don't know that they're from the Bible. Maybe they don't know that it was Jesus who said this. Maybe they don't know that this isn't talking about civil law because Jesus wasn't talking about civil law, but about God's law and the freedom. The freedom that only grace can provide that comes from following and knowing Jesus Christ and belonging to him. And therein, I think, is the human problem. We can engrave it on our buildings. We can talk about it as a civil truth. But can we let it personally find every one of our stories where we are and be that truth that sets us free? See, we don't know how captive we have been, and we are. That's the problem. Our whole world doesn't matter what language you speak, doesn't matter where you grew up, doesn't matter what nation you're in, doesn't matter what political system you're under. We, as a world, do not know how captive we are, how enslaved we have become again and again. Just like the crowd responding to Jesus, Every one of us could say, the whole world could say, you don't know what you're talking about. Preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. We don't know who you are, but we know better than you do. We have never been slaves. That's what they said to him. And all of us could probably say the same thing. We've never been slaves. What are you talking about? We've never been in jail. We don't owe anyone anything. We're free people. We're really important. God loves us. And I can just hear Jesus say, really? 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 Tell me, I, I, I know something about your history because I'm one of you, remember? He's a Jew. Uh, tell me about those 400 years of bondage in Egypt that your family went through a, a couple of years back. Huh, was that, was, that, was that not slavery? Tell me about 40 years in the wilderness from which none of the original crowd made it out alive. Was that not slavery? Tell me about the, the, these Roman soldiers I see running around and this pilot guy and this Herod fella. Tell me about what you're experiencing right now. And tell me about how really free that sacrificial system you've so corrupted is working for you. How many of you feel really free? Why are you debating me? Methinks thou dost protest so much, too much. People think Shakespeare first said that. I think it was Jesus. The reality is when we are not acknowledging these very kinds of traps that we've set for ourselves, we are 
enslaving ourselves. Jesus has told them they don't even know who their father is. Which even today is a major affront. Say that to somebody. Try, try, you know, you're, you're all going to Christmas parties, right? I want you to try this one on. Try saying to someone at your next Christmas party, who's your daddy? <laughs> try saying to someone, what's your real hope? What's going to save you? Trust me, that'll end the conversation in a hurry. It'll be a real awkward moment. But a lot of you don't want to stay too terribly long anyway, so they're probably going to drag out the fruitcake any minute. So, But then there's Jesus. Then there's Jesus, who cares enough to wander into the Christmas party, into the temple, into the, the situation where it's really kind of socially theologically, politically, and otherwise awkward, and to pull back the covers and expose what is missing. Jesus took a big chance in doing that, didn't he? They were ready to kill him. He says, you, I know what you want to do. You want to kill me. Why? Because I've exposed what is missing in your life, that you're not so hot, that you're not as strong and powerful and secure as you think you are. And what is missing that Jesus has exposed is that they don't even really know who their father is. They really don't know where their origin and hope has come from because they don't really have a hope. Friday morning, our, our men's group was going through the Lord's Prayer phrase by phrase. And I, I, said, I said, you know, I think we need to just stop with the very opening, the greeting, our Father. Because for Jews, even saying the, the word God, the name God, was blasphemy. You weren't allowed to do that. And Jesus says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And I'm going to teach you how to address God. And you not only get to say the name of God, you get to call him Abba, Papa. Father, wow, unimaginable intimacy, and that's what was missing. That was what's missing then, it's what's missing now. We have a longing in our hearts, in our lives, for an unimaginable intimacy with the one who has created us and given us life in the first place and who alone can give us hope forever. If they really knew God, they would know the one to whom they are speaking has not only come from God, but that God is speaking to them. And what's he doing? He's wooing them. He's calling them to be redeemed, forgiven, restored, set free. He's saying, you're trapped. I know you're trapped. You're addicted. You are addicted to a system that cannot save you. You're trying to live by your pedigree and it's not working. And you're miserable and you're afraid. That's why you're shouting at some itinerant craftsman from the Galilee, from the boondocks. If it weren't so, you would just ignore me. But you're not ignoring me, he says. And God did not intend for us to ignore that. He placed it in our hearts to long for him and only be satisfied when he is the one. 
And here is where Advent, Christmas, comes in, in this passage. And every day, 4th of July, all year long, God sent his only son into the world to be the one, the one and only, who fills in all that is missing in our earthly understanding of our need, particularly for our Father. You see, Jesus came looking for us as orphans, no matter how good or not so good or just plain bad our earthly fathers have been or we have been as fathers or mothers for that matter. God redeems and coming to find us. God fills in what is missing. God fills in what has gone wrong, what we have done what we have done wrong, what has been done wrong to us, what has not been enough with his love for us. Now, recently, people have been saying to me, uh, so what are you going to do when you retire? And I've been saying, well, I'm going to goof off. And people go, well, you already do that. <laughs> so I've changed my tune a little bit. I'm, I'm saying, I'm going to stop trying so hard. I'm going to stop trying so hard. You know, because in my heart of hearts, I do not let God's grace be my full sufficiency. I try to prove that I somehow am good enough. See, it is as we are learning from Jesus what this means that we allow him to enter those empty places that no matter how hard we try, we cannot fill up. Those broken places that need to be renewed and redeemed that need to have what is missing filled in, and we, can, we have been hiding from by saying, I'm not a slave, I'm free, when we know we're not. See, my friends, until Jesus Christ is allowed to truly love us, we are just kidding ourselves. Until we allow his love to be our sufficiency, rather than our pedigree, what we do for a living, what we've accomplished, what we've earned, what we've got in the bank, what it says about us in the newspaper. We are hiding. We are missing what we truly need. Jesus has not come to catch us being bad. That's really easy. Anybody could do that. Anyone could catch us being bad, yelling at the kids, kicking the dog, being obnoxious, I'm good at that, impatient. But Jesus has come to do just the opposite. Jesus has come to set us free from trying to be good enough. Jesus has come to give us himself. He has come to unite us with that missing piece. Is that P-I-E-C-E? Or is that P-E-A-C-E? That missing piece that is God's perfect love for us. And he's not going to let us think that any silly stories or arguments or made-up pedigrees are going to be enough. Jesus Christ is going to come and say, no, no I, I looked at your high school yearbook. I, I've, I've looked at what you've done. It's, no, it's not enough. He cuts to the heart, and Jesus says, you need me. You need me. And I love you. And I'm going to give my whole life for you. You need me, and you need me all the time. You need me every day for 
every year, for everything that you've ever lived and ever will live. You need me all the time. Nothing is going to take care of that but me. You need me for every feeling and thought and action that has held you captive, and you need me because you can't even admit this need to yourself. That is grace, my friends. That is Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, in the flesh, coming into the neighborhood, coming into your house, coming into your life, being meddlesome and saying, that's not working very well, is it? You're not hiding very well, are you? You have a sickness unto death. You're addicted to your own abilities, aren't you? And they're not working very well. Jesus says, let me be the one. You see, that's the truth. And truth sets us free, and there is only one truth. There's not my truth and your truth. There's God's truth that convicts us of our need for pure grace. But ironically, as Jack Nicholson said so famously, you can't handle the truth. We can't handle the truth. And that is truth itself. We ironically want to avoid what we need to hear because only as we hear what our condition really is, can we know what we need to know about ourselves? And what we need to know about ourselves is that it is God's grace in Jesus Christ that makes all things new and puts all things right. Elton Trueblood said it so well. We have not advanced very far in our spiritual lives if we have not encountered the basic paradox of freedom to the effect that we are most free when we are bound. We are most free when we are bound to Jesus Christ and not to our visa cards, not to our role of accomplishments, not to our masquerades that try to make us feel like we're really pretty special when we know the one thing we need is God's love. We have not advanced very far until we know that we need to be bound to Jesus Christ. Augustine said it, until we have Jesus Christ as our Lord, we have ourselves as tyrants. That's what I mean when I say, I'm going to stop trying so hard. I'm going to stop trying to come up with something that says, I don't need anyone but me. Johann von Goethe, the, the great German drama, dramatist, said, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. Listen, friends, this world, this nation, I don't care how powerful you are, you're not free. None of us is free until Jesus Christ is the one who owns every part of our lives, our past, our present, our future. But here's the good news of the gospel. The hopes and fears of all our years are met in thee tonight. Again, Augustine. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. We live in a restless world, my friends, and it is infectious. You can get it from the news or the Internet, you know, viruses, from the attitudes that are in the air, or we can be set free by the most essential truth, and that is that God loves us so much, so much that he came looking for us with the gift of himself in exchange for what? In exchange for all our mistakes, all our brokenness, 
all our losses, all our fears, all our failures are met in thee tonight and today and this afternoon and this morning and in the midst of our worst failings. Anything less, my friends, is not enough. The lie is that God's love is not enough to make us whole. That's a lie. It is more than enough. The truth is that not only will it make us whole, but it will equip us and empower us to share this gift with anyone we meet because it will come out in who we are and we will not be able to stop telling about how he has changed and is changing us and making us new and healing all the worst things. Open this present in this Advent season, my friends. Do not wait for Christmas morning. Open it today and tomorrow and the day after that. Open it and put it on. Wear it. Boldly trust that Jesus' love really is enough to make your life whole. And then give it as a gift to yourself so that someone else may know the truth of Jesus Christ this Christmas. So they see you wearing it. And they say, hey, where'd you get that? I want one of those. I want that. I want to be free too. Because that is why Jesus came. So that we would not be orphans or slaves, but children. Children. Children who trust because we have been set free. Amen. Let's pray. Father, only you can give us the ability to believe this. And you have done that in coming with the gift of your own son. You are doing it even now as we are here in the presence of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that this gift would ignite a fire within us that burns bright and burns off all the dross and all the waste and leaves only the light of your love for us to live by and share for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My friends, remember, as we go from this place, wherever the wellhead is, wherever God has called us, we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it and therefore go peacefully, gracefully, joyfully in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.